but it means that I can watch a rocking band like the Polish Club or something like that for nothing, plus make a little bit of money on the side. But the main reason is I get to work with gear that I don't have in my venue and I get to see another sound guy mix a band and I learn from their mistakes or their accomplishments. You're listening to An Actor and a Mic, a podcast focused on the often tumultuous but spectacular journeys of Australian artists. In episode 13, I speak with Liam Fitzgibbon, a technical coordinator and an audio technician. And it was amazing to sit down and speak to someone from the backstage world. He also knows so much more about music than I do. And it was great that he was willing to teach me. We discuss Liam's favorite kind of job, uh, what annoys techies, what setting up for a music gig is like, which was very interesting. And right at the end, we do this fun thing where we, uh, it's like a quick fire round of music jargon questions. So I know a little bit more about uh, music jargon now, which is good. So yeah, thank you for listening to episode 13 of An Actor and a Mic. And I'll see you guys at the mid-roll. Bye. Welcome to the second recording of episode 13 of An Actor and a Mic. My name's Griffin Walsh, and today I am joined by Liam Fitzgibbon. Hi, Liam. Greetings. <laughs> so, finally, I, I'm speaking to someone who is of sort of the music world and a theatre technician. I guess Liam has been a qualified technician for over 15 years and has worked in a large number of occupations in his sector. Liam's journey has taken him to many positions that allowed him the opportunity to educate. Um, so I'm hoping that he's up to the challenge of educating me. <laughs> Give it a go. Cool. Um, so how have you been through this crazy time? <laughs> Good. Been trying to keep busy. Yeah. Um, working from home uh, has its challenges, especially if you're a technician mm. who requires quite who who leans on their technology quite strongly to be able to do their job so yeah i've been able to take uh, some equipment at home to to up upskill to yeah work on on a few things at home which i would normally do at, at work what what kind of things you've been working on at home uh recording my own music actually really so, so you have been starting that up yeah so i've i've been using pro tools for a while which is a program uh used in uh, music recording uh, and I've, I've been using it just recording a couple of my own musical ideas and it's basically just a way of learning the, the program without holding up anyone else's time i see i see okay that's pretty interesting and so when you're when you're recording your music what what kind of i guess i don't know from someone who's not from a music background what kind of like instruments are you using or like um so i i like rock music so Makes sense. Drums, bass, guitar. Yeah. Occasionally, uh, some keys or a synthesizer or something like that, but um, mainly guitar based. I think you um you really introduced me to um Tool again. 
Oh, well. I got right into Tool again after we, we took a trip to Brisbane and you were playing it over the radio. And I was like, this is pretty cool. And then and then I just started just smashing it out. So thanks for that, no I guess. No worries. <laughs> can't, can't go wrong with that on your playlist. Yeah, yeah. And I also know you got an RC car. Yeah, yeah. Remote control car. Just to do something at my kitchen table while <laughs> on lockdown. So that was a reliving my youth. I, I had a remote control car kit when I was about 14. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Do you take it out to anywhere or just sort of just in your... Just in the your, backyard chasing yeah. the, the dog around. <laughs> oh, no. Um, safely walking her. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's a good point. Which that's I can't do quite now. Right now, yeah, obviously with the knee and got a bum knee. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah, right. No, that uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like the neighbors hate it. Yeah, yeah. Is it noisy? Uh, it's noisier than you'd think for its size. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. Well, uh, it sounds like you've had some ups and downs through that. Yeah. I was trying to do stuff for your job for the uni while staying at home. Well, it gave us a, an opportunity to catch up on a lot of documents that needed updating, which is a really tedious job and nobody really wants to come to work and and update documents. But when you're looking for things to do from home, it's actually been uh, a bit of a godsend that we've been able to catch up on some things like signage and procedures and really boring stuff. But I guess when you're that bored and isolated, it's kind of like, ah, might as well do them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. No, that um, that sounds pretty good. So I guess we can get into the you talking about yourself now, okay. which I know you're so excited for. Yeah, yeah, okay. Here so we go. also, I'm getting major deja vu because we've already recorded this before. Yeah, and then I lost the audio, so that's my bad. Yeah. So <laughs> some right. of your answers, right. I'm like. I've heard this before. Yeah, I'll give you different answers this time. Okay, okay. I Don't worry, I've <laughs> forgotten most of it already, so... So let's go back, I guess, all the way into your schooling again. Yeah. <laughs> Did you always have an interest in the arts? Uh, I think in one way or another I did. I was pretty into theatre during primary school and probably first half of high school as well. I was far more of a extrovert than compared to the person that I am now. So <laughs> uh, I used to like showing off and getting yeah. a lot of attention and being the class clown. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, you probably already know that I like to think that I'm pretty funny. So I used to take the opportunity to, to, to get in front of it. people and yeah. play the clown. Yeah, and it was probably about halfway through high school that I started to get uh, really interested in music. I, th- I think a big part of it was um, my older brother was writing music and I, look- I looked up to him and so when he got the drum kit for Christmas, I got myself a pair of sticks and whenever he wasn't home, I used to go in and have a thrash. Yep. Oh. And yeah, because he-, he used to play me music and then he would sit there while the song was playing, talk to me about the sound of the bass guitar and the guitar riffs and the, the drums sound great in this part and listen to the scream here and and I think that got me right into the production side of music and recording and yeah that's how I uh, got into music and then when it came time to talk to my parents about going to university and what my options were there they were pretty keen to have me stay in Townsville where we lived with them at that time. And the only courses at, at the uni that offered 
any sort of sound recording components was a a theatre degree, a live technical theatre course. Right, I see. Yeah, so because I had done theatre all through primary school and a little bit into high school, I thought, well, I've probably got what it what it takes to get into this course. And yeah, once I was in the course, I realised how much I loved live events. And I also learnt that there aren't a great deal of work opportunities available for people that have done a course just in recording. Yeah, so I, I felt that about halfway through the first year of uni, I felt that I'd made the right choice. Oh, that's good. And that not only was I learning about sound, which I, I wanted to know, but I was also capitalising on the things that I already knew in the theatre world. Plus, I was gaining a lot of skills learning about lighting, uh, set design, and that sort of thing. So, although the recording facilities and the type of coursework that we were doing in that theatre course was probably not what I had hoped for, I think it set me up for a pretty strong career in in live events. Okay, cool. That sounds like you kind of got the skills you needed to get, I guess. Yeah, and I think, you know, over COVID, when I just mentioned that I've been doing a bit of home recording, I'm learning things that I probably would have been exposed to a lot earlier. But now that I've had the experiences I've had, I'm able to teach myself. Now you've got that sort of base level. Yeah. And then you can build on that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that's really cool. And then you finished your degree? Yeah, so I the last stage of our degree was a practical component, like a secondment. And I, I didn't want to have to finish theory classes at the same time as do those prac courses. So I postponed all the prac until I had finished all my theory courses. It's not a bad way to do it. And then I could... Uh, could concentrate on these placements which I had arranged for myself. So the the original plan was that I was going to do was either six or eight weeks at several venues along the east coast of Australia. And ambitious thought. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I had it all lined up and uh, I think I was gonna be starting in, in Mackay and then finishing in the Judith Wright Centre. And on uh, about maybe half an hour outside of Mackay, my car died, blew up. Um, such bad timing, oh my yeah, God. I ended up staying in Mackay for about five years. So, <laughs> so yeah. Right, okay, so, so that so you broke down and then just were never able to leave ever. Well, yeah, <laughs> my, my car broke down and then I broke down. Oh, God. And, but... I was able to finish my six or eight weeks placement, whatever it was, at the Mackay Entertainment Centre. And uh, as soon as that was complete, they turned around and offered me work. Okay, so that worked out super well. Yeah, so I was able to walk straight into a a job in a theatre, which was the idea behind the secondments. Yeah. Okay, so do you wish your car hadn't have broken down? Uh, Yes and no. Okay. I mean... Cars are, cars are annoying and they're always going to break down. And I, I try not to live with too much regret. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I think things, well, who's to say how things would have worked, would have out. worked out or turned out. I might have ended up staying in Brisbane for five years or I might have gone back to Townsville at the end of it without a, without a job offer. So. Yeah, I guess that <laughs> being trapped in Mackay sort of started with the you were 
able to build a relationship up with the event center. Yeah, I think so. I think probably because I spent a little bit more than two weeks with them. Uh, initially, I was able to foster some relationships with the other crew there, and also it gave me a chance to prove to them that I was serious about having a job in the industry. So you were there for five years. What did you what did you get up to? Uh, well. I only worked at the entertainment centre uh, as a casual, but I found work with other companies in Mackay. Uh, there was one place, Kennedy Amplify High Service, who pretty much has the monopoly in Mackay in terms of hiring AV gear. Really? Yeah. There's okay. Not a great deal of competition out there, and you know the the guys there really knew their stuff, and they had really good gear as well. So it was a great opportunity for me to learn from people whose bread and butter is the AV industry and I got to work on all sorts of gigs. There'd, there'd be corporate gigs, there'd be Christmas parties where the CEO does an hour-long presentation, but then there would be a tribute band at the local RSL on the same weekend. That's, yeah, it sounds like there were so many different events going on that you probably had a pretty good time, but it kept you busy and interested. Yeah, and some of the some of the best gigs I did looked really bad on paper. Well, not bad, but uninteresting. Okay, like a like an outback festival or a a fishing competition. What? And they yeah, and all of a sudden you get there and you realise that they've booked a really good band and. <laughs> And the whole, you know, the whole weekend is just a blast because you're working with great musicians and you've got good gear and the audience are well behaved and just works out well. And then you get to jam out on the side. Yeah, that's it. Sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) No, yeah. So that's he stayed there for five years. Worked. um, Why'd you leave? What was the? Um, Well, I I also worked at the conservatorium of. Music in Mackay, oh. which is um, university. They offered a jazz course, like jazz and popular music, music theatre, and towards the end, a theatre acting course. And uh, I worked there full time as a technician for a oh. couple of years. And I moved to Sydney uh, basically because I had a girlfriend who was moving to Sydney, <laughs> oh, okay, cool. an aspiring musical theatre performer. So I followed her down and Rest is history. Right. Okay. So you got a job as a, as a, you just say coordinator at the conservatorium. Yeah, te- technical officer. What is okay? What's a technical officer? <laughs> no oh, idea. So basically, it's a title that you might find a university gives to a theatre technician. Okay. So it's a te- technical support role, but you you know at some larger universities the title might actually be theatre technician okay, or right. arts technician. Okay. Yeah. It's just a... It's just a label. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> One of the many labels I do. Right? Just, sounds, just sounds a bit nice, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sounds like, official. Yeah. And, and so how did you... How did you land that? Because that's not necessarily a, a teaching job, but you were sort of... Did you end up teaching anyone there? Uh, well, yeah. In the end, I I taught a couple of courses... Oh, wow, really? Which were, I think, sound for actors. So I taught them how to set up microphones. Oh, okay, cool. And record podcasts, how to do basic editing. 
Oh, that would have been nice before I started this goddamn podcast. If I knew <laughs> yeah. that should have come to you. <laughs> and uh, that was actually a really interesting course because uh, they were actors, so uh, we decided to put in a performance component okay. to their setting these things up. Yeah. So, but we did it live on stage performance. So, if you've ever seen footage of a radio drama being filmed, mm. where there's several actors holding the script around the same mic, and, and they're all doing several different voices each, and when somebody jumps out of the plane and opens the parachute, there's actually someone with an umbrella at the back of the studio doing all the folding noise. So, so that was yeah an example of one of the courses I did, which were a lot of fun. And I, I did a lot of overseeing students that were assigned to tech roles as part of production. So unfortunately, they couldn't all be cast. So yeah, but I, I ended up working with some students who are now touring with Disney. So they'd done a musical theatre course. They wanted to be a performer. Didn't find much luck performing, yeah. but have been employed with Disney for the past few years That's to touring around. So yeah. Yeah, okay. And so how did you how did you find teaching? It sounds like you kind of just fell oh, into it a little bit. Oh yeah, look I really, really enjoy teaching. My uh, mother is a teacher, a special needs teacher. And I I suspect she had always wanted me to go into teaching. <laughs> okay. But I, I also yeah, I I enjoy passing on uh, what knowledge I do have. Uh, and and I really enjoy pulling apart what I know and explaining it in several ways to people because it forces me to look at what I do. Yeah, no, totally. And be a bit, a little bit of research into myself. Yeah, a little bit of that kind of like self reflection that's what I um that seems to come up with any of the people I've interviewed that are in some way teaching. Yeah, is it's like the kids ask questions and I go oh, why do I do it like that? Or like, yeah, that I don't know. Like these things, then you have to try and explain explain it to this kid. Yeah, no, I think it definitely allows you to sort of sit in yourself and self-reflect. And in the end, I, from what I understand about teaching, if you're a teacher, you seem to learn more than you did beforehand. It's like this kind of constantly learning role. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's a lot that, teachers can learn from students just like what you mentioned there how questions are framed can force you to look at the question or the problem in from a slightly different angle and you know shed light on uh, your own process or your own understanding you know, some people black their off yeah yeah that's right <laughs> Funny that. yeah and and so okay so you moved to sydney and then from there you hung around in Sydney for a few years? Yeah, so I was in Sydney, I think, for five or six years again. Okay, right. And uh, I had a job at a private boys' school in North Sydney. Not really. Which was a great gig. We had a, it was a 550-seat theatre with a full fly tower. And, wow. Yeah. Pretty money. Good. Lighting <laughs> ring, yeah. It's amazing what money can get you. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, the people I worked with there were really great. The students were really good and I uh, had a bunch of them that were really keen on learning theatre tech. Towards the end, when I left, I had a couple of students who had gone on to do sound in, uh, 
I'm going to sound poor, so I got into video and, yeah, they were part of my tech crew for a few years and been involved in all the productions. I'll sign a night to get them out of sport yeah, so they do. could be involved in a production. Yeah. It's probably the main reason why they No, that's um, it's just blowing my mind because I've um, been here for almost a year and a half now and I've seen you around and we've spoken a little bit but I had no idea that you had this like history behind you, and I didn't know that you'd taught all these people. And yeah, well, I think one thing that I quite often say about theatre technicians is that if they do their job properly, nobody knows that they're there. I see. Okay. It's only when they stuff up that people know that that it's like Oi. That they're there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's uh, it's an interesting way to look at it. I'm sure that brings certain people to it just just want to do their job and get the hell out yeah well yeah it is interesting there's a a lot of different personalities that you find backstage and just as as much as you would find on stage on stage as well yeah that's a good point i guess there's extroverts and there's introverts and there's people that are fake it till they make it no and then there's just genuine people that love what they do and they're more focused on the text and the story than they are on themselves and usually they're the ones that that do really well yeah yeah i guess when you throw your full self into it yeah yeah and i think part of it is you have to remove yourself from it as well uh like the little bit of ego that's in the back of your head that says i'm doing this because i want to be seen or i'm doing this because i want to be noticed yeah there's there's a bit of ego that requires swallowing I think I learned that from uh, a musician that I worked with once who kept saying, these songs aren't about me. I just want to give the songs what they deserve, the respect that they deserve, and separate himself from his art. That's, it's, I feel like that's really hard, isn't it? Because you've got to remove that like selfishness that does come into it of like, I'm doing this so people notice me. or Yeah, there's part of it, but... Uh, You'd know as an actor as well, once you step on stage, all that stuff goes away. And you don't have time for to be there. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and if you do notice it there, then you're not in character and on stage. So it comes across and people are always like, oh, yeah. oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's an interesting point. I think I'll, um, yeah, I'll have to think about that, the idea of removing your ego from that kind of stuff and kind of just doing what you're there to do. Yeah, another example would be I've done sound for many bands where you don't get a chance to do a sound check. More often than not, the band uh, has just put 100% trust in you or they've worked with enough sound guys to know that they don't have a choice but to trust you. <laughs> right, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I've, I've had some of some bands that would come up and they would say, okay, this is what I want. I want you to make a sound like this and... It's completely been not the opposite, but down a, a different path to how I would have mixed it. And it's gone both ways. I've done gigs where at the end of it, I thought I spent most of the night trying to do what they wanted me to do. I yeah. should have just done what I know would sound all right. And then I've, I've had the opposite where I've had a suggestion from a singer and yeah, at the end of the night, I was like, wow, I, I learned a new technique and I, I learned that singers, like some singers prefer not to hear themselves at all through the wedges. And, oh, okay, know, yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I think 
those those moments where I am able to separate my sound guy ego, which is more often than not hugely unjustified. <laughs> uh, if I'm able to set that aside, it opens up some opportunities for me to learn and uh, challenge myself and also make other people happy by doing what they ask for. Yeah, right. Like if I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in a theatre world, very different because you do get sound checks and you get seven weeks of rehearsals yeah. lucky to pull the show together. And in that time, you're constantly working with directors. So you need to keep an open mind as a designer or a technician throughout that whole period because the director has the right to change their mind two days out from opening night about the whole soundscape. You know, and you've got to work yes, with that really, really quickly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's... um. Yeah, no, that's an interesting look at the the backstage side of stuff, which is nice, which is why I'm kind of interviewing you because yeah. it's you're, it's so far removed from my world, but not at the same time. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, I I'd prefer if it isn't. Like you know. Yeah, and when it's not, it's always a better result. Mm, that sort of collaboration that sort of comes yeah. from it. Yeah, right. Is there is there like a kind of project that you prefer more than most like do you like your bands or do you like doing your theater tech stuff or like what kind of where do you lean towards what do you just get i i think concerts uh live concerts probably my jam yeah okay especially if i'm doing doing well sound (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and i've got a good pa and it's a nice sounding room when you're working with a good set of musicians Mm. as well they make the job so much easier for you and you just get an amazing result. Okay. And when you walk away from gigs like that and members of the public who you've never met before come by and thank you for doing a good job on the sound, that's really a, a good pat on the back. And yeah. You know, oh, they did a good job. Hooray. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. um, okay. So what kind of things? I guess don't get too technical because it'll go right over my goddamn head. Right. <laughs> um, like when you're at like a concert and you're doing sound, what, what kind of thing? What are you looking out for? What are you trying to avoid? Like that kind of stuff. Well, it's a bit odd because during the concert, I would probably say that the majority of the concerts, if everything's going well and you're concentrating on on the gig, you don't really have time to. Four memories. <laughs> okay. So there's been gigs where I've got right to the end of it. And I, I guess it's an adrenaline thing. Mm. And I know performers can have this as well, but they can get to the end of the gig and go, what just happened? Because an hour and, muscle memory, and, yeah. and a half of my life went by and I don't remember any of it. <laughs> so during sound check and during setup, there's, there's a very different mindset to during the gig okay and i think during sound check and setup you're trying to eliminate the nasties so feedback mic placement that's not going to work or uh, maybe it's the wrong type of mic the musicians fold back you try and set that up so that doesn't cause you any issues during the show so a big part of the setup and the sound check is preparing 
we're not preparing for Masters, but trying to eliminate any danger. Bad sound. Yeah. And then during the gig, I find that now that I'm a little bit confident that there's not going to be any squealing or any really strange noises that are going to blow the speakers, I can start focusing on enhancing the group. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. Yeah. I see. So, yeah. And I, I know that's just how I think about it. Aaron or Steve of the Empire, they probably have a completely different approach. Maybe not entirely different. Still think they want to avoid the nasties and, <laughs> and enhance the good. The good. Yeah. <laughs> but essentially, and I think that's that's how I see my role as well. I try not to put myself in the mix too much, as yeah. in make musical decisions such as effect or tone or level. Try not to impose too much of what I think will be and work with what the musicians are giving me. Okay. Yeah. So yep. if yeah, so part of it is okay. I want I want this to come through the PA sounding beautiful and crisp and sounds just like it does right at the instrument. And then if I can get that happening, that's when I start looking at prettying things up with a bit of reverb, or yeah, okay. delay, and that sort of stuff. But but I usually save that until the gigs yeah. up and running. Sound it's going, it's going. Okay, so it's at the concert. It's it's your sound check. If you get a sound check, is to try and avoid the nasties and the potential for nasties and make sure it's all good. Yeah. And then when it's playing, when when the band's going, is to just sort of go with what they're doing rather than imposing stuff onto them. Yeah, yeah. Because if I come into a gig thinking, uh, let's say it's a, a reggae gig, you go okay. So the singer's going to do these ruster shout-outs and he's going to want to hear echo after echo. The drummer only wants to hear what the bass player's playing and the bass player only wants to hear what the drummer's playing. But then you rock up and halfway through sound check, you get the impression that this is not like any other reggae band, that they're actually all jazz-trained musos. And oh, okay, yeah. They all just want to hear what the keys are playing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think... You can try and prepare as much as you can, but yeah, no right. matter how much you envision the show or the sound check, it's always going to be different. Okay. So you always have to roll with it. That's it's that's another reason I like the the fact that it changes each time because that keeps you interested, right? Like it's more or less the same thing each time, but yeah, slight things change. Well, I mean, no two gigs are the same. Yeah, even yeah. if you're working with the same band in the same venue, it's different crowd, different, different crowd. Night. Yeah, and <laughs> the performers, you know, may have celebrated their opening night, and um, <laughs> so they they've got the second show blues, jitters, yeah, jitters. <laughs> or I think there's a there's an element of cockiness to it. Like, yeah. oh, we've got the show up and and running, and the audience loved it. So it's like, so yeah. they kind of get into it maybe a little bit too much it's, like, yeah. oh God. it's definitely a thing I've, I've heard a lot of stage managers talk about it really yeah the second show lull or something where they're it's like it's too much they're they're too comfortable yeah, yeah <laughs> that's right mm, okay that's interesting i um no i like that I, I i had a feeling it was something to do with concerts but then you keep finding yourself in theater technician jobs that like oh don't get me wrong, I, I enjoy theatre tech. Yeah. I I think the reason why I like concerts is just because I like the 
and yeah, and uh, with the concert musical concert as well, part part of the appeal is that it's a very short amount of time that you're working with people, and you pull it all together. You might have you might be putting a show on once, or you might do a tour, but every venue is going to be different and require a different setup. So every gig really is like a whole new gig. Whereas with theatre, uh, you might work with a team for 12 weeks, maybe, and the teams are usually bigger, so the designers, directors, stage managers. And it's probably just, just a longer process. Right. And I enjoy that mm. when it comes to, say, sound design or lighting design, because you've got some time to really think about what you want the look to, how you want the look to be and feel. And you also get the opportunity to experiment as, as part of deciding upon design ideas. So, yeah, very, very different worlds. And I, I like I like it both to different versions. Okay, right. Heyo, so we are at the halfway point for the interview now, and I hope you're enjoying it. Things that have happened in my world. I believe last episode, Ben's episode, I spoke briefly about two student films that I was working on. So I filmed both now, but I really wanted to focus in on one and my reflections around it. And it was the one where I was basically the only character. So it was filmed over five very very long days and uni took a little bit of a backseat during that time but i can tell you overall i really surprised myself uh, without sounding too conceited i think i filled the role really well and i'm definitely proud of what was accomplished over those five days not just from my part but from the crew as well the best part of the shoot was probably how collaborative it felt and how Everyone was really there to help each other and make this the best project it could be. Um, I was invited a few times by editors slash directors slash DOPs to look at their process in terms of color correcting and, and rushes right at the start for editing. And it felt really nice to see what was going on behind the scenes and really inviting that they were willing to show me that. What was also really good is if I had an epiphany about the character's arc, I could comfortably go and speak to my director, uh, who was actually Scott Hazel from episode eight. Uh, I could tell him about potential importance of certain scenes and how I think if done in this way could show more of this character's descent into loneliness. And having that feedback and that discussion around it was, it just felt amazing, which was really nice. What also surprised me about the shoot was how well I could accomplish the scenes I was most anxious about doing. So these were the, the big, emotionally intense scenes that required so much of my person. And I found I was more than capable of working myself up into these states, and that just felt awesome. Uh, what I found difficult, however, were the more naturalistic scenes, where the character felt comfortable and natural. And the fact that I struggled with these scenes definitely shocked me a lot as 
I thought these scenes would be easier, which was obviously a mistake. So I'll just keep that in mind for the next project that I work on, and I have a few ideas on, on how to help it. As for shout-outs this episode, so I have one that I have been wanting to speak about for a while. It just hasn't really ever been the right time. It's the Must Cab Fest. So, so Must is the Monash Uni Student Theatre, and it's a group joined with the Monash University in Melbourne, and I was briefly a part of and I have nothing but fond memories of this group, and I'm still actually a part of one of their meme pages, which is very funny. But I'm so happy to see the adaption going on in one of their usual projects, which is the Cab Fest. So I'll, I'll just tell you real quickly. Basically, the Cab Fest, it's a cabaret festival involving all kinds of artists doing all sorts of amazing things, so like singers, dancers, jugglers, all sorts of performers. And usually it's, it's performed down in, in Melbourne. And so at this point, you must be thinking, well, I'm from Queensland, like most of Griffin's audience. Uh, why would I care about something that I can't see down there in Melbourne? And so the wonderful thing about this and, and how they're adapting it is they're bringing the Cab Fest for 2020 online. So I'm hoping that even people up here in Queensland can see their work and support them and, and see what, what it's like down in Melbourne, especially those who don't know what it's like and would want to move down there. So the dates are still a bit away, but I wanted to get on it now so you can put it on your calendars. Uh, so the dates are uh, the 10th to the 20th of October, and surely you'll have at least one free night in that time. I'll also add a link to the announcement video on Facebook so you can get more info that way. Okay, um, <laughs> I have spoken for way too long, so I'll let you guys get right back into the interview. So yeah, see you soon. Bye-bye. curious if you find being a like a theater tech like a stressful job yeah no i i remember it would have been maybe four years ago on triple j on pack they were talking about stressful jobs and they had people ringing up saying that they thought they had a stressful job and one of the one of the people that rang up was a stage manager and they were suggesting i'm stage manager and i've got a stressful job and the presenter, the radio presenter, just really poo-pooed it right from the start and was like, oh, it's, you know, putting on a plate, it's not stressful. You know, it's not like you're saving anyone's life. Oh, God. Because they had, you know, surgeons ringing up. You're like, yeah, that's fair enough. But, but then uh, the stage manager broke it down and said, well, I've got 40 children on stage. I've got 30 audience uh 30 musicians in an orchestra i've got a bunch of adults part of the crew and i'm responsible for all of their punctuality i'm responsible for their safe movements in the dark while set pieces that weigh several tons are moving over the top of their head in the dark there is legit working plumbing as part of the set oh god which is right near electricity uh, with the lighting system. With the uh, lights off. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, you know, all this stuff is moving in pitch black and there's loud noises happening at the same time, several intercom channels, and anything can go wrong at any time. 
Yeah, I'd say that's pretty stressful. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe touring that show, that would be pretty stressful, especially if you're going overseas and you're relying on translators during your bump in and bump out. Yeah, so I think it can be a stressful job. I go through periods now where I feel quite relaxed, but then things build up and I've got a short amount of time to make things happen and it has its moments. Okay, right, right. Yeah, so it's when those deadlines come in that you're kind of like... (laughs) Yeah, and I I think part of it is putting pressure on oneself as well because, like, you know when opening night is and you know what time it is and you know that there's so many tickets sold and that there's going to be an audience. So you've got to put a show on no matter what. And then if you might be setting up for that event and then a piece of gear breaks down or there's been a change in one of the songs, which means you require more microphones, things like that, and you've only got you know, an hour's notice to make it happen. But at the end of the day, it's not really uh, the life or death for anyone. Yeah, right. So it's, I guess you find it hard to completely be like, yeah, it's a stressful job because you're not saving anyone's lives. Yeah. But yeah, no, I can still understand there's a lot of, I guess, pressure on you yeah. um, to, to achieve certain results. I um, yeah. And I, yeah. I think, so you can put pressure on yourself, but also other people can put pressure on you. And I've worked with some amazing directors who they know exactly what they want and when they want it. and they, they know how to describe to you what they want. And then you work with other directors that are maybe at the opposite end of the spectrum and they're quite open to suggestion and they're a bit uh, lackadaisical in terms of locking ideas down. They're a bit more organic in, ter- in terms of their decision-making. And uh, that can be another, another level of pressure, a different type of pressure. In one scenario you know what you need to deliver and when, but in another scenario, it's all quite open-ended and you just want to lock things down and move on to the next thing. Yeah. See, is that... Yeah, I was in those sort of jobs, whether they be concerts or doing theatre tech, is there things that people do that that annoy you? Like, I'm curious if theatre technicians ever get annoyed. Oh, I think that's their default setting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think if um, if you have a theatre tech, especially a sound guy who's not annoyed about something, then you're not going to have a good gig. <laughs> so I, I think there's definitely things that punters do that are infuriating, like asking you to turn down the PA, and then when you ask them, okay, is it too loud for you? They say, yes. And you say, oh, where are you sitting? And they point to a baby's stroller that they have parked right in front of eight subwoofers <laughs> and they say, oh, we're just over there. You're like, and you actually feel like calling the police and saying that someone needs to take this, this, child this lady's child off her because <laughs> she has no understanding of how a child's ears work. <laughs> but in, at the end of the day, you can say, I think you'd be really comfortable at the back here with us. It's mm-hmm. not too loud, and your baby will stop crying. The other punters can enjoy the show. <laughs> yeah. So, and, um, you know, you always get drunken idiots that come and tell you that they can't hear the vocals or that the bass should be loud or. Or people think and they it, know things. 
Well, it actually doesn't matter what the mix is like. They were always going to come up to you and say something anyway because they were just the sort of person they are. I see. Yeah, that would be annoying. Yeah, and um, uh, in terms of performers, musicians that wait until they're on stage before they tune their instrument. Um, yeah, so they tune up in, in front of everyone in this awkward three minutes of silence <laughs> after the MC has said, are you okay for me to announce you yet? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep, don't do that. That sounds, uh, Just tune that sounds pretty bad. <laughs> Tune your guitar <laughs> and bring a guitar lead while you're at it. Bring a guitar lead, you said. Yeah, guitarists are renowned for not having the equipment they need to plug in, so other people have to find yeah. it for them. They 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 made sure they didn't forget um, not one of their forty eight guitar pedals that they need for the gig. Yeah, but they completely forgot about the guitar lead. <laughs> Plugging the guitar in to make it all happen in the first place. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and uh, it happens. There's a there's a bunch of uh, Facebook pages that I'm on, and you know, every third or fourth meme is about one of these little quips that performers get into, like calling foldback feedback. So they ask for feedback. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Doing everything I can not to give you any. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand what you want. <laughs> uh, is there is there like certain things you wish you could change about the whole sort of sound industry as a whole? Um, well, not necessarily you, but wish that they would change. That's a really good and big question. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, at one point, I did want every mic to be wireless, just <laughs> so I didn't have to roll leads. For about forty five minutes at the end of every night. Yeah, but I think that would just be a more annoying scenario because you'll need IP addresses for all the microphones, and yeah, yeah. things can go wrong very quickly. Fault finding, like if I've got an issue with the microphone, I can just trace the cable yeah. back to where it's plugged in. It's fault finding, and you can't do that in a wireless world. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I guess everyone will become super tech savvy very quickly to try and figure out what's happening. Yeah, mm. well, I, I think maybe some something that has changed in the industry that's shaped the industry a lot since I've been in it would be the price of gear for home recording has come right down and that's why every every dude with a MacBook and a top knot is now a music producer. Every guy with an Inspirion Dell and a Procaster mic is doing podcasts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a really interesting point. Yeah, exhibit A. Yep. <laughs> no, but like it's been a good thing. Like, look at the podcast industry. Like, it's, yeah, it's amazing. And yeah, so I think yeah, the the internet plus late stage capitalist consumerism has kind of made it more affordable for people to have their stories heard. Yeah. Which I think is a really good thing for humanity yep. in general. Yeah, okay, that's an interesting point. I um I guess I've only recently started getting into this stuff. So like the sound world for me is I no idea. Like honestly it's I'm I'm struggling to to think of 
more in-depth questions because I don't know them. And I'm, I I wonder if the, the questions that I could be asking are like, what? No. Like, <laughs> um, but uh, so you've worked at a, a bunch of different like institutions at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I've always uh, made sure I've done freelance stuff as well. Yeah. So you've done a bit of both. Yeah. Like the, the freelance stuff, it's good extra little money earned on the side of a full-time job but probably the main reason I do it is just so that I'm still in touch with the industry because working for a institution uh, such as a school or university it can be quite insulated in that you're not really living in the real world yep no, exactly right. so when I do some work for Justin at Premier Studios, helping set up a PA and do some stuff that probably below my skill level in terms of, you know, I used to do that stuff 12 years ago. But it means that I can watch a rock and band like the Polish Club or something like that for nothing. Plus, you know, make a little bit of money on the side. But the main reason is I get to work with gear that I don't have in my venue and I get to. Yeah. see another sound guy mix a band and I learn from their mistakes or their accomplish accomplishments right okay that's that's a, I think that's a super good thing for someone in the university to do because I, I I know a couple of places where people like when they're the people teaching stuff become very like I don't know what the outside world is, but this is what I teach. And it's not going to help you when you get out there, but this is what I teach. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a really good approach to sort of going out there and um, and just kind of touching base with everything and, and keeping sure that it's still all fresh and stuff. Yeah, there's a little bit of networking, but I, I see it as, well, I've, I've got a lot to learn. I, I know some things, but I can always learn a lot from other people. So when I put myself into environments or positions where I am learning something, then then I find that I'm keeping abreast of my own skills and the industry and adding value adding to my career. Yeah, um, right. Okay, no, that's good. That's as good. well as saving up for a Mustang. Oh yeah, <laughs> of course. So I've got I've got some quick fire questions just because yeah maybe it'll put me a little bit more into the sound world. Just they're like they're just words. Like okay, I just want you to explain some jargon for me. Okay. So like equalizing. What is what is equalizing mean? Uh, so equalizing is, I guess, the relationships between the bass, the middle, and the treble. So the tonal tonal balance. Yeah. So if you've got a bass guitar doesn't sound like a bass guitar it sounds like a really thin it sounds thin and trebly and top heavy okay then you would use an equalizer and you would reduce the treble and boost the bass okay get it to sound more like it should right okay so that's that's equalizing it. yeah so it's a tool that you can use to change the tonal relationships of the frequency range Cool. <laughs> okay, I think I think I get that. Okay, what's what's phantom power? Phantom power is a switch that's on most sound consoles. Yep. Or external sound cards that you plug into your computer. And 
basically what it does is it sends a little bit of voltage through the microphone cable to the microphone because some microphones need phantom power to work. They need a bit of extra voltage. Yeah, some require voltage and some don't. The ones that do require voltage are condensers. Okay. And the ones that don't are your dynamics and piezoids. And cool. Okay. Um, what's, I guess what's, what does gain like really mean? Gain? Yeah. Another way of thinking about gain is sensitivity of the mic. Okay. Not the volume of the mic, not the loudness, but its sensitivity. So the way I try and describe it to people is imagine you've got a balloon over your microphone. Yeah. And you can blow that balloon up so it's like the size of a party balloon. Yep. Or you could blow it up so it's the size of a grapefruit. So if you've got your gain right up, but you turn your gain up, then it'll be a large balloon. Yeah. And that balloon is, I guess you can use it to represent where the microphone starts picking up sound. Yeah. So if you had a if you had it gained down and it's only the size of a tennis ball, yeah. then you need to be right on the mic yeah. for it to, to really work. Yeah, right, okay. Whereas these these mics that we're using now got them gained up quite a bit. Okay. But we're you know, a foot and a half away from them. And then we can actually still talk, which is good. <laughs> Big balloons. Which uh yes, I had to find that out, I think, the hard way. By starting here and then being like, Okay, this really sucks, can yeah. we um yeah and you you can that's the first the gain yeah is the first place i guess really where you can really get it wrong oh okay if you gain up too high then your microphone's too sensitive and talking to it and it distorts that means you've you've already screwed the pooch so yeah. to speak yeah uh, because there's no getting rid of that distortion. Right, okay. So if you so it's always best to gain down a little bit and then maybe boost it in post. Yeah, right, okay. Or, right. Um well I'm Oh no, wait, one more. So what the hell is, is MIDI? Like M I M I D I M I D I music musical instrument digital interface. Oh, okay. So if you look at the keyboard there, eighty eight keys on it something like that Jesus. yep um so each one of those keys can be assigned a value in in a digital world so okay right so i guess musically notes can be turned from whatever note they are into digital code which can then be used to trigger other sounds okay so yeah midi the way of importing music digital landscape right okay yeah because I've, I've heard a lot of people like say like oh yeah midi and well it's just like what does that mean what yeah like is it, is it a midi drift like a, a mid drift <laughs> 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 um, i'm i'm happy to ask the last question if you're yeah you're okay so i asked this of all my guests and it's just if you could give advice to your younger self what would you say uh, I. I wish I documented the gigs I did better than I have. For the first half of my career, we didn't have Facebook, so I couldn't rely on Facebook memories yeah. to remind <laughs> me of the gigs that I, I did. But I wish I took more photos and 
I wish I had kept a running list of the gigs that I have done yeah. because Good memory. it'll be over a thousand now and I'd like to be able to submit it. Yeah, oh, see me or something like I that. I see, like, look at me. Yeah. yeah, okay, I see. No, that's, um, that's fair. I guess that whole idea of documenting stuff more because it doesn't seem that important at the time, right? Well, and also when I studied, we didn't have YouTube, we mm. didn't have Facebook. I think we had MySpace, but um, yeah, you know how much of a joke that is. Um, <laughs> I just wish I took more photos and mm. uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. Especially of some of the, the, the better lighting states or the better uh, concert setups that I've done. Because as I mentioned earlier, sometimes you get to the end of the gig and you forget all about it. Like, where am I? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad nobody died during that. Yeah. Was it good? It was yeah. good, right? <laughs> no, yeah. No, I like that. Um, documenting stuff more for not only CV purposes, but also like memory purposes too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just think it's, it'd be kind of cool one day if I did have kids to show them what I did. And yeah. 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 Okay. And also when I work with uh, other directors or you know, concert producers, I might be trying to sell them on an idea that I've done before, you know, or I've seen before, and I know that works. Yeah. But without that reference to point to a photo or a video, they're not going to Yeah. No, yeah, okay. Well, thank you very much for sitting down for the second time to record this that's i'm genuinely really appreciative my, my pleasure thanks for your patience yeah no um it was it was great to have you here so thank you for your opinion. thanks Griff. cheers And that brings us to the end of the interview. So as I said during the interview, I wish I could have asked more specific questions for Liam's field, but with my limited knowledge, I asked what I could. So I hope you got something out of it. I very much admire the work Liam does, and without people like himself, we really wouldn't get to enjoy a lot of the things that we do. Um, so thank you, Liam. On reviewing the interview, what really stuck for me this time around was the idea of distancing your ego from the craft, which I, I believe is something we have spoken about before on this podcast, but I have never thought about it before from a backstage perspective. And at least for me, it was so interesting to hear that when you're sitting at that mixing board in audio technician fashion, you actually have the ability and knowledge to impose your own ego and wants onto the performance and in some cases you really shouldn't and that was really interesting yeah just good stuff <laughs> so as always if you enjoyed the episode let me know by sending me an email at an actor and a mic at gmail.com or swing a message to the facebook page so in episode 14 i speak with a radio host who i found out went to the same school as me which was very funny uh she has a lot to say and it was a very funny interview. So look forward to that one. Until then, keep making art and being spectacular.